Fantastic. So this evening I am joined by Publius, who is the founder of Beanstalk. And uh, I'm really delighted to have this guest along tonight. It's a little bit out of my uh, knowledge base, uh, certainly uh, with any degree of authority. Um, but in the context of building new realities and uh, Publius and his work with Beanstalk and what he's doing in the finance sector, uh, I'm really interested to learn more. So Publius, thank you for joining us this evening. Yeah, thank you for having us. So yeah, our audience sort of tend to be from a tech and creative background. So obviously they'll, they'll know about cryptocurrencies and, and, and a lot of them will hold cryptocurrencies. Um, but they, they're probably not familiar with the, some of the, the next level of, of technical um, terminology. So to begin things, we should probably try and keep, keep it a, a little bit high level. Um, and, but really starting at the beginning, perhaps we should start with the, the basics of, you know, what a stable coin is, why it's important and, and, and why it's an important part of the ecosystem. And, and, within, and within that description, a little bit of context of, of where Beanstalk sits in the, in the stable coin versus what, we, what many of our audience would consider a normal uh, cryptocurrency. Sure, a lot, of, a lot of questions there. So we'll try to get to, to all of them in time. The, where do stable coins lie within cryptocurrency? So to start off with, we should probably put cryptocurrency in some perspective. Fundamentally, cryptocurrencies are some sort of protocol native asset that is issued by, by a protocol in general. Now, uh, decentralized cryptocurrencies that are run on networks governed by uh, decentralized sets of miners or network participants, uh, and, and those networks are typically organized in the form of blockchains, the cryptocurrencies issued by those networks have both proven to be uh, new, exciting technology, which is ripe for speculation. Uh, we're talking about Bitcoin, Ether, uh, and a variety of other uh, popular cryptocurrencies uh, I'm sure you've heard of. Uh, but the, the primary problem with them, if it, if it is a problem, and it is to some, uh, depending on what you want to use your cryptocurrencies for, is that the value particularly the fiat denominated value, the US dollar value or the euro denominated value of Bitcoin and Ethereum and other cryptocurrencies is incredibly volatile. And accordingly, it makes using cryptocurrencies for lots of different things, uh, particularly difficult. Uh, and the excess volatility in cryptocurrency has thus far been uh, one of the things that has prevented cryptocurrency from uh, growing into its full potential. And there are a lot of uh, technical and economic difficulties to work through. And as a whole, the decentralized community that is working on cryptocurrencies is solving problem by problem in a, in a uh, decentralized fashion. Now, stable coins uh, are, are somewhat aptly named in the sense that they solve that volatility issue or attempt to solve that volatility issue by maintaining a stable value. And so over the past five or so years, stable coins, and we can talk about the various different types of stable coins that have gained in popularity over that period of time, but stable coins have become an integral part of DeFi, decentralized finance, primarily because of their uh, low volatility compared to other cryptocurrencies. And so to put it in full context, you get all of the benefits or most of the benefits of decentralized networks uh, without exposure to the volatility of their main uh, protocol native asset or other assets that may be issued on, on their networks. And in short, uh, the vast majority of stable coins that have uh, existed or or exist today uh, are all credit based. Excuse me, collateral based, meaning that they use some form of collateral, whether that's locked up in a bank account, whether that's locked up in a smart contract on chain, uh, or there's a couple other forms which collateral may take to back uh, a given stable coin. But 
every other stablecoin protocol that currently exists, except for Beanstalk, uses collateral. Now, to, to put it into perspective, before we talk about Beanstalk and how Beanstalk uses credit and why that's fundamentally different, let's talk about the problem with collateral. So in general, let's say somebody wants, right now there's a couple hundred billion US dollar stable coins uh, on the Ethereum network that are backed, issued by different protocols, backed by different baskets of on-chain or off-chain assets. But whether you're locking up US dollars in a bank account or Ethereum in a MakerDAO CDP, the fundamental question is, well, how much uh, collateral do you have available? And the amount of stablecoin supply that you are able to mint or create is handicapped or, or capped, we should say, uh, by the amount of available collateral. Because every collateralized stablecoin model uh, claims uh, in some capacity to back each of their uh, outstanding stable coins with some form of collateral. And so the fundamental question around how much stable coin supply can there be is, is equivalent to how much supply of collateral is there. And the problem, even though you have these protocols with pretty good stability mechanisms such that their stable coins uh, follow their target price, the collateral shortage and the supply shortages, typically in economics, when you have a supply shortage, you have high prices. Uh, in the case of a stable coin where the price is maintained, the supply shortage manifests itself in high borrowing costs. And so even though the coin is priced at uh, what it's pegged to most of the time, uh, there's a high, talk about 10, 12, 14% uh, borrowing costs annually uh, to hold these stable coins. And so why is this a problem? In practice, if you want to use your stable coins for things, you now need to judge whether or not that use has a positive expected value as compared to that 10 or 12 or 14% passive interest that you could receive for just lending out your assets because of the high borrowing costs at the moment. And in short, the really high borrowing costs have made doing lots of cool stuff across decentralized finance and cryptocurrency somewhat cost ineffective. And so that's where Beanstalk comes in. And Beanstalk takes a fundamentally different approach to uh, stablecoin issuance instead of using collateral in any capacity, Beanstalk uses credit. Uh, and by credit, uh, we mean the ability for Beanstalk to attract lenders. So whereas anytime the price of another stablecoin is too low, uh, the fact that you can redeem the stablecoin for the collateral, which is worth whatever the stablecoin should be pegged to or more, uh, should in theory uh, cause somebody to buy the value of the stablecoin back up to its peg or uh, basically liquidate the debt position and claim the collateral. Uh, in the case of Beanstalk, it's fundamentally different because there's no collateral. Anytime Beanstalk, the price is too low, Beanstalk attempts to create demand for beans, which are the Beanstalk stablecoin, by attracting lenders, by attracting people that are willing to lend money to Beanstalk. And in, in reality, Beanstalk only accepts loans in the form of beans. You can only lend beans to Beanstalk. And so anytime Beanstalk needs to raise the price of a bean, it's stablecoin, Beanstalk tries to borrow beans, removing beans from the open market uh, and, and decreasing the supply of beans. And, and on the other side of it, most people will need to buy their beans to lend them to Beanstalk. So it creates demand and decreases supply and in doing so, it should return the price of a bean back to its value peg. So there's a lot of different uh, economic incentives and uh, structures around Beanstalk to actually get it to maintain a stable price in all circumstances uh, without collateral. Uh, but that's fundamentally 
uh, how Beanstalk works and where it fits into the stablecoin space. And just so that we're being 100% honest and accurate, uh, Terra Luna is the only other protocol that to date really has a solution to the collateral shortage problem. And they've been incredibly successful recently, uh, but they still do maintain a collateralized model. So don't want to group them in with the rest of the stablecoins that suffer from this uh, collateral shortage uh, in, in the spirit of uh, honesty. Great. Thanks for that comprehensive uh, introduction. Interested. I mean, I think the volatility piece is is what's so fascinating uh, uh, about cryptocurrencies. And, you know, as as inherent in their name, stable coins um, uh, have have reduced uh, volatility compared to um, most cryptocurrencies. You mentioned that there was still, you know, like 10, 12 percent, which is a high interest rate even on stable coins do you think that potentially because stable coins have easy access to the purchase of cryptocurrencies that they've been pegged at that right because they're largely used for speculation with other coins with other cryptocurrency coins so what, what i'm interested in is just to dig into a little bit more on perhaps why there's such volatility um, in cryptocurrencies and with what still could be considered a high interest rate, 10 or 12%, is that because it's perhaps predominantly those stable coins are used for speculation? Well, to answer a former question about the cause of volatility in cryptocurrency, fundamentally markets are uh, a question of buyers and sellers and a function of buyers and sellers. And the volatility in cryptocurrency is a function of the fact that uh, the buyers and sellers are often using leverage and the market is currently pricing in a wide variety of different scenarios that, I mean, the, the outcomes are changing in real time in a way that, uh, in short, the structure of the cryptocurrency market is not, there, it's very, because there's no intrinsic value and there's no revenue in the vast majority of these protocols, uh, the, there's a, a really open question as to the value of any of these given networks for their tokens. And due to the fact that uh, the, the, the market doesn't have any sort of established way to price assets, you tend to have particularly high volatility in each of these markets, both compared to other markets and compared to uh, other cryptocurrencies, where just uh, even though you have a highly correlated cryptocurrency market in general, you also have a high amount of volatility within cryptocurrency and DeFi between different cryptocurrencies and assets. So things are just very early, and the uncertainty is largely the cause of the volatility. But ultimately, crypto uh, is a market, and markets are a function of buyers and sellers. Uh, I don't think that's uh, particularly informative information, though. That's that's the playground that everyone is playing on together. Now, to answer your question about whether that volatility is particularly the cause of the high borrowing costs for stablecoins, uh, it is in part in the sense that uh, the high volatility of cryptocurrencies certainly is one of the causes of high demand for stablecoins. Now, the utility of a low volatility asset is such that uh, it's de facto dependent on volatile assets, right? Something is stable as compared to volatile assets. And so the fact that there's such volatility in crypto creates this uh, high demand for less volatile stable assets. But with regards to the actual reason why even today, despite the fact that uh, the stablecoin supply has continued to grow rapidly, 100 billion plus over the past uh, 18 months or so, uh, and it might even be more than that at this point, uh, maybe like 150 billion. I don't have the numbers in front of me at the moment. The, despite the massive increase in supply, uh, borrowing costs remain high simply because there's not enough collateral to meet demand for stable coins. The, the stable coin issuers cannot issue sufficient stable coins such that uh, the borrowing rate should approach 
the borrowing rates for dollars off chain. If you look at uh, how you would expect the 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 market operate if it were uh, frictionless and efficient, you would expect the borrowing cost for dollars on the blockchain to be quite close to borrowing costs for dollars off the blockchain. But in reality, that's not the case at all. And the reason for that is frictions and the, the frictions particularly around creating the supply of dollars on, on chain. And so the supply limitation is where all of this derives from. Understood. What, what drew you into finance? Well, markets are markets are the the place where uh, you find out if you're right or wrong, and uh, there's something quite beautiful about that. And particularly in the society we live in, where so much is prescribed as either uh, right or wrong, uh, markets are the most exciting because you you don't get told whether you're right or wrong by any individual uh the world uh you know and the market gets to decide and that is that's what uh that's what enticed us and ultimately when we put beanstalk into perspective uh we we you know Publis is a small group uh we deployed beanstalk on the ethereum mainnet a little over seven months ago and we did it cold turkey. We didn't do any sort of pre-mine or pre-sale or VC allocation or any sort of advertisement. We just put it out into the world and let the market decide. And the thing that's been so exciting over the past seven plus months is the response from the market. And that in practice, out in the wild, Beanstalk is actually operating. And so uh, it's, it's a very thrilling experience. Yeah, it's one of my favorite uh, memes. Actually, there's uh, I don't know if you've seen it. There's uh, two guys in a in a sort of wrestling ring, and one's like a sort of really fancy Thai boxer, and he comes in and does all these kick flips and somersaults and all this kind of crazy stuff. Um, and the text that's overlaid as he does all this on the video is um brainstorming market analysis what color should the font be let's do the website so all the kind of speculation that would come along with creating a product and in the other corner there's like this guy that's just walked off in the street and as this as the other person's doing all their fancy kick flips he just comes up and does one punch in his face and knocks him out and it just says the market um so you can have all these kind of great hypotheses and fantastic ideas but it's not till you put it in the market till you get a clear response um, of your hypothesis. So yeah, I, I understand your excitement around a essentially non-biased um, set of judgment. You just put it out and see what see what comes back. How would you explain DeFi to non-professionals or not, you know, pe pe not to lay people, people like people like myself? So DeFi is short for decentralized finance. Finance, uh, I don't, you know, don't feel particularly compelled to explain. Uh, most people have a sense of what's a financial transaction or what qualifies as finance. Uh, and DeFi probably stretches to everything that comes to mind when you think of finance and more. And so instead, we'll focus on the decentralized aspect of it. Currently, the entire financial system from the issuance of US dollars to the payment rails that you use to buy your lunch, uh, the entire system is centralized. Every piece of the system from the banks to the credit card companies uh, to the issuers of money are all some form of centralized entity. And in general, cryptocurrency uh, and decentralized networks that support cryptocurrencies are in a potential alternative technology stack or the beginnings of a potential alternative technology stack to all of the current uh, centralized technology and institutions that exist. And so the answer to the question, what is DeFi? DeFi isn't one thing in particular, but DeFi is a set of different uh, protocols 
that are all uh, leveraging the composable nature of decentralized networks, which is that different uh, assets from different protocols can uh, work together and different protocols can communicate with one another in a way that is uh, sort of like building blocks. Uh, decentralized finance is uh, the, the building of a new, a new tech stack and a new economy built on open source technology without a single point of failure or a centralized intermediary that is rent seeking in any capacity. And so in practice, you know, why does anyone care about this? In practice, two things are gonna happen. Uh, one, uh, rent uh, costs are gonna go down. We talk about uh, high borrowing costs in stable coins. Uh, currently, borrowing costs in, in, in cryptocurrencies are still incredibly high. Um, and, and the rent seeking models of stable coins uh, is still winning. That's one of the things that Beanstalk is a response to. But in, in the grand scheme of things, uh, well-designed decentralized protocols that create protocol native incentives to, to encourage independent participants all across the world to perform some sort of network maintenance, to create some sort of utility, uh, that's decentralized finance. The, it's this, it's a, it's a network of different protocols that all provide different services and utility and create different assets that are all in time. I mean, currently you can't do much, but what, what you will hopefully be able to do in the not too distant future is anything that you could do today using a credit card or a bank account uh, or cash. Uh, and then at, like infinite things on top of that. The, the way I like to think about it, or we like to think about it is uh, in the same way that and I think this is like a Travis Kalanick quote from Uber, uh, in the same way that if you had said, uh, you know, in 2000, that we'd be, you know, calling some stranger to come pick us up from a nightclub at two in the morning and drive us home, we'd be like, uh, you know, that sounds a little bit funky to me. Like, do they have a company they work like with? No, they're just, they just have their car. They're just going to come pick you up. Uh, you'd say like, that doesn't, that doesn't sound like something I'd like to sign up for. Um, but with the way uh, cell phones have totally changed uh, every aspect of human society, the, the different use cases and new uh, technology that has opened up on top of it is, is unknowable at the time. And so when we think about where DeFi is going, I have no idea. But where it is today is we're still, and when I say we, I mean the decentralized finance community that is all investing in and building new tech, uh, we're trying to answer some core fundamental problems to, to facilitate the adoption of something like the iPhone, uh, a couple killer use cases uh, that will ultimately open the door to who knows what. Um, but we're still, we're still in the early days and things like really high borrowing costs for dollars on the blockchain make, make using DeFi really impractical. And so that's where Beanstalk comes in and tries to be a part of the, the solution and uh, a part of the, the bricks that will ultimately become DeFi. And so what are the different ways that people can engage with, with Beanstalk? You know, if I, you know, let's say I'm a, a casual um, a speculator in crypto because I invest in uh, some currencies that kind of catch my eye or I like the story around them or I just like them because they're a top 10 market cap. What's uh, what's what's a good way into it, it, engaging with Beanstalk? So Beanstalk exists on chain on the Ethereum network. Now there's a user interface maintained by Beanstalk Farms, which is a decentralized development organization that's formed over the past seven months to support the development of Beanstalk. Uh, and the website is Bean Money, B E A N dot Money, mm -hmm. and that's where you can go to learn all about the protocol and access all the resources as well as access the protocol. And so there are, if you go back to the core of how any decentralized 
network or decentralized protocol works fundamentally, the, there are certain protocol native incentives that encourage different work to be done by participants to create some sort of utility. Uh, in the form of Bitcoin, that's Bitcoin miners uh, doing the work of mining the blockchain to create the utility for the people that want to spend the Bitcoin. In the case of Beanstalk, uh, anyone can participate, just like anyone can participate in Bitcoin mining, anyone can participate in network maintenance of the Beanstalk network in a variety of different capacities. And Beanstalk offers protocol native rewards for participating in protocol maintenance. So there's, there's a lot of sophistication and terminology that goes into interacting with Beanstalk. Everything is farming themed. And so if you'd like, I'm happy to get into all of the weeds and uh, all the, the different terminology and the options that people will see when they go to the website, or we can maybe just keep it higher level and talk about, uh, you know, from an abstract perspective, the different types of uh, protocol maintenance that people can participate in. Yeah, I think rather than getting into to, to the weeds uh, at this point, um, just like a sort of high level view on, on what uh, user involvement with, with Beanstalk um, might look like if, you know, if they, if they were coming to if they were fresh to it sure so we go back to beanstalk is a credit-based stablecoin protocol and fundamentally beanstalk is trying to attract lenders so anytime beanstalk is willing to borrow beans anyone can go and lend beans to beanstalk and the when you lend beans to beanstalk you receive pods Pods are the debt asset of Beanstalk. And I'll try to keep light on the, on the lingo here, but the number of pods that you receive when you lend your beans to Beanstalk is dependent on the interest rate at the time and you lock in your rate of return. So right now, the interest rate for lending beans to Beanstalk is uh, 71.41%. So uh, you get... 71.41 pods for every bean that you lend to Beanstalk plus your money back. So 72 and a half, let's call it pods for every bean that you lend to Beanstalk. Uh, that interest rate goes up or down every hour uh, based on the protocol rules, based on demand for lending beans to Beanstalk. Is that the equivalent of 72% or a different number? 7,200%. Right, so seventeen hundred. I thought I might be missing a, a couple decimal points. This is yeah. cryptocurrency. This is cryptocurrency. So, yeah. uh, now the thing to note is that your pods go. And just for reference, not you can't always lend beans to Beanstalk. Right now, being like just this current moment, uh, you can't lend beans to Beanstalk. In about thirty minutes, at the top of the next hour, you can probably. My guess is you'll be able to lend some more beans to Beanstalk. Uh, and, and that's all done 100% autonomously based on the rules of the protocol and the current state of the, the protocol. But to continue with what we were talking about, the when you get your pods, pod, you lock in your, your rate of return. Currently, it would be like 72, 72 and a half pods for every bean you lend to Beanstalk. Your pods go to the back of the pod line. So pods are paid on a first-in, first-out basis. They're, they're a, a novel financial instrument in that regard. They don't have any sort of fixed expiry. They're a zero-coupon bond without any fixed expiry or maturity date. Instead, pods are harvested uh, or can be exchanged for one bean each in the future when, the when, when new beans are minted. And so specifically, if you lend beans to Beanstalk today, you go to the back of the line. Now, when we talk about creating an efficient market for lending to Beanstalk, the reason for going to the back of the line is because it, let's, let's take any given individual. Let's say at a given moment, you think it's a decent time to lend beans to Beanstalk. The question is, well, should I wait a little bit longer to lend to Beanstalk or should I lend right now? Because pods are paid out on a first in, first out basis, the incentive structure is such that it's much more likely that someone says, I'm just gonna pull the trigger right now and lend beans to Beanstalk right now, as opposed to waiting. And that creates a much more efficient 
lending market than any previous attempt at an algorithmic credit-based stablecoin had had. So the first in first out pod harvest schedule is, is, is unique to Beanstalk and one of the key uh, drivers of its success in our opinion. So that's, that's the lending market side. Now, the other side of the market is Beanstalk is an autonomous protocol that's governed by a decentralized autonomous organization, a DAO. The Beanstalk DAO exists on chain. And so on chain governance facilitates upgrades to the Beanstalk protocol. In short, the other way that you can participate from uh, upside in the growth of Beanstalk is by participation in governance. Now, you don't need to actively vote or anything like that, but you can just join the Beanstalk DAO and earn stock. Stock is the governance token of Beanstalk, and stock entitles its holders to a portion of all future bean mints. So anytime, you know, we've only really spoken about when the price is too low, Beanstalk uh, attracts lenders to create demand and return the price to a dollar. When the price is too high, and this is the key, right? Every collateralized stablecoin, when the price is too high, the fact that they're backed by collateral uh, keeps the price pegged, but, but the excess demand results in high borrowing costs. In the case of Beanstalk and beans, when the price is too high, when there's excess demand for beans, there's no collateral backing. So the price actually gets too high. And then what happens is Beanstalk mints new beans. It actually creates new supply to meet that demand, to return the price to a dollar. And so that's where you actually see the upside in the credit-based model as opposed to the collateral model. There's no limit to how many beans you can mint to meet demand. And so as Beanstalk grows and as the ecosystem grows, there's never actually going to be a point where there starts to be a cost to borrowing, a high cost to borrowing beans because there's not enough supply. That will never happen. Instead, anytime there's a supply shortage, which in the case of a collateralized stablecoin would result in a high borrowing cost, in the case of Beanstalk, it would actually result in new beans being minted, which does two things. It pays off debt and it rewards stockholders, governance token holders. And so when we talk about how you can participate in that, you can deposit your beans and other assets that are helpful to the system, relevant liquidity pool tokens, for example. But you can deposit your beans in the Beanstalk DAO and receive stock, the governance token, and participate in the growth of the system. And so that is where Beanstalk and Beans really differentiates itself as compared to any other stablecoin and any other cryptocurrency. You have a protocol native yield opportunity you hold your dollars, your beans, your stable coins, you deposit them in the DAO, you don't need to do anything necessarily, and you start to actually receive positive interest in the form of new beans that are minted. And so uh, the new beans that are minted, they're also automatically deposited in the DAO and you actually receive compounding interest. And so that's how Beanstalk works. So there's two ways to participate. You can lend beans to Beanstalk or you can participate in the DAO. Understood. And 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 you mentioned it's like a first in, um, first out type system. Uh, typically, what are the sort of timeframes one are looking at? Obviously, you can just leave your your beans in the system as you just described. But if one wanted to withdraw, what's the what's the sort of time frame on that? So, in the field, when you lend your beans to Beanstalk for pods, you're stuck in pods. You can never reverse exchange your pods for beans. However, uh, there was a recently launched decentralized exchange for pods called the Farmer's Market, uh, which was mainly a community-led initiative. Uh, and so now you can trade your pods back into beans, uh, but you can't do that through Beanstalk. If that, like the protocol won't offer you an exchange, you have to find a buyer on the market for your pods. Um, so there's like a very high return, 72 and a half X or 71 and a half X, uh, but you're not a lot of liquidity except for on the secondary market. The silo, the, go ahead. No, sorry, I was just going to say understood. The silo, which is the DAO, uh, offers 
basically liquidity at any time. So you can deposit assets into the DAO, into the silo at any time. And you can also withdraw your assets from the silo at any time. Now, when you withdraw your assets from the silo, they are frozen for a short period of time. That period of time is decreasing uh, over time. Uh, it started at 24 hours when the protocol launched and is now down to 10 hours. And it's going to continue to decrease to as low as four hours at the moment. And in the future, the down may vote to continue to lower that further. Um, so the silo has passive yield and, and almost real-time liquidity, you know, a couple of hours delayed. And then the field, which is the, the lending facility uh, where you get your pods, that's much less liquid. And what are the sort of returns in the silo? So there's, the silo is a little bit sophisticated to explain the returns for, because you receive bean seniorage anytime the bean supply increases, which is a function of market demand that cannot be forecasted. However, and this is actually one of the problems that previous attempts at credit-based stable funds faced, therefore, anytime the supply isn't growing, when beans aren't being printed, when the price isn't above its value peg, uh, there's actually very little reason to stay in the DAO, right? Why would I stay if I'm not receiving my interest at the moment? And so in addition to bean seniorage, uh, you also receive stock seniorage. Uh, stock, which is the governance token, you receive more stock the longer that you're deposited in the silo, in the beanstalk DAO. Uh, the amount of stock that you receive increases linearly over time. Now, from an incentive perspective, and this is really important, when you withdraw your assets from the silo, from the DAO, you have to forfeit all of the stock associated with your withdrawal. You keep your beans, you keep your seniorage, but you don't keep your governance tokens. And particularly, because you have to forfeit all of the stock that has grown while you've been in the DAO, if your intention is to withdraw and then at some point in the not too distant future, deposit again in the DAO, there's an opportunity cost introduced in the form of all of the stock that you have to burn that, you've, that has grown for the previous time you've already spent in the DAO. And so what this does is it creates a really sticky effect for people the longer that they leave their assets deposited in the DAO, the less and less likely they are to withdraw them because the higher the opportunity cost is. Cool. Okay. So let's say I'm Joe Punter, right? And I got a thousand dollars and I'm kind of interested in your approach and, and let's not kid ourselves. I'm also interested in, in your, in your return. Um, so let's say I want to put a thousand bucks in. I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily want to speculate on it, but I'm happy to put it in the system. And, and I then want to be able to use it in a year for either purchasing other cryptocurrencies or even withdrawing, um, that money, whatever's become of that thousand dollars. What does a journey look like for, for Joe Punter and their and their thousand bucks? So there's two different journeys, right? One is that they lend beans to beanstalk, and the other is that they deposit them in the silo. So let's start with the lending. Anyone who wants uh, to lend beans to beanstalk can do so on-chain and can do so very easily via the bean.money website. Uh, the user interface tries to make interacting with the protocol as simple as possible. It's not particularly simple to interact with. Uh, and so it's a process and Beanstalk Farms is working hard to improve the quality and clarity of the user interface, but the protocol is also changing you know, in time. There's been uh, 13 upgrades proposed thus far, 12 of which have been approved. Uh, and so updating the website and updating all the relevant content is also challenging. But so that's that's a digression. Uh, the, 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 the person who wants to come, Joe wants to come to the farm and lend beans to Beanstalk. Let's say they have Ethereum to start, keep it simple. They can, in a single transaction through Beanstalk, uh, take their Ethereum and lend that Ethereum to Beanstalk. Now we said Beanstalk only accepts loans in the form of beans. So in practice, what's happening is uh, you're sending that Ethereum to Beanstalk uh, 
Beanstalk takes that Ethereum, buys beans on your behalf, and then uh, you know the loan is then in practice in beans. And so when we talk about what the user experience actually looks like, um, and currently that simple flow is only facilitated for Ethereum, but in the next couple of weeks, uh, the hope is that the protocol and the website will be updated to facilitate going from basically arbitrary assets that are liquid on Ethereum into the field uh, to lending beans to Beanstalk in a single transaction. Now, uh, a similar dynamic is at play in the silo. Let's say you have Ethereum again. Currently, you can deposit uh, three different assets in the silo. You can deposit beans, you can deposit LP tokens for the bean ETH Uniswap pool, uh, V2 pool, and you can deposit LP tokens for the bean three curve curve pool. Now, again, you can start with, I'm not speaking 100% accurately, but this is the way the protocol will work in two weeks or three weeks, let's hope. So I'll just for simplicity say this. Yeah. Uh, you can start with arbitrary assets again and go into uh, each of those three assets, beans, LP tokens on Uniswap, LP tokens on Curve, deposited in the silo in a single transaction. So Beanstalk will do all of the complexity for the farmer, and all they need to do is select their input uh, into the system and their output, whether they want to lend beans to Beanstalk or whether they want assets in the silo. Okay, so so that so my thousand dollars has gone in, and it can be in either of those two locations. Um, but will it will it either always stay in the format of beans, whilst obviously receiving its um, good rate of return, seventy two hundred percent? But then, as soon as I want to withdraw it from beans back into ETH, I am I'm going to lose my stock. What are what would the potential return on me going back from beans to ETH look like? So one thing to clarify is that if you're in the silo, you don't get the 7,200% that's in the field. Yeah. Um, and you lock that in when you lend beans to bean stock. When you're in the silo, you know the rate of stock that you're going to receive over time because that's linear and defined. Um, but you don't know the amount of beans that you're going to receive. And so the answer to your question of, well, in the future, I put $1,000 in the silo, how many beans will I be able to withdraw and sell into Ethereum? That, that is unclear. It's a function of the future growth of bean stock. And so the question that you need to ask yourself is, well, how much do I expect the supply of beans to increase over whatever period of time you're investing in bean stock for? And that's the, the way to think about the the way to, from a from just a math perspective, the way to actually calculate what someone would return in a given scenario is a function of uh, the rate at which the bean supply increases. It's not exactly uh, dependent on that. It's not one-to-one -one per se. There's a couple other inputs into that function. But in short, uh, the, the most important factor into, uh, you know, the, the outcome of the state of uh, a given farmer's uh, investments is the future growth of the bean supply. Understood. But what I'm just a little bit unclear on is what those what those beans can be used for, apart from lending them to other people who want beans. What 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 can I use those those beans for? Well, it's a great question. Currently, there's not much uh, to be frank. Now, beanstalk is super young. It's only been around for seven months. And so it's a little tricky to convince people to accept a currency that's only seven months old. Uh, and so Beanstalk is still in the proof of concept stage in which uh, demonstrating a strong ability to maintain the price of a bean at a dollar without any sort of collateral uh, is going a long way to uh, opening up people to potentially accepting beans uh, in their protocols or in their store, you know, in theory, if you wanted to accept uh, beans to, to uh, in your in your grocery store that would that would work too, but to answer you substantively, the thing to the thing to realize is that the silo, the beanstalk DAO, is a really unique opportunity for product market fit. the The current state of stable coins is such that 
there's if we go back to well, what can you currently do with your stable coins? Well, you can use your stable coins in lots of different protocols that accept them, but in reality, the only thing you do use them for is lending, because from an opportunity cost perspective, you'd be a fool not to. And so the starting place where Beanstalk starts is it says, well, the first use case is lending. We're going to start there, and or at least uh, the equivalent. So you can uh, hold your beans uh, in the silo and receive positive carry. So it, it's not exactly lending because, uh, again, you still own your beans as opposed to lending them out. Uh, and there's really it's not lending because the beans that are in the silo cannot be borrowed. Um, but just by depositing your beans in the silo, you can receive some sort of interest. Now, one thing that we haven't mentioned is there's the ability to convert assets within the silo. So you can go from deposited beans to deposited LP tokens, for example, that are part bean and part Ethereum. So let's say that uh, there's a another cryptocurrency that is uh, looking for liquidity, right? Everyone, every currency wants liquidity. Uh, the more liquidity that a currency has uh, that it trades against, uh, the less volatile and the more legitimate uh, the price. So the, the real benefit of the silo and the fact that beans can be converted to other assets in the silo is when beans are minted, you have new beans that are now automatically deposited in the silo, they can be converted into liquidity pool tokens against lots of other assets, assuming that those assets are whitelisted for deposit in the silo. And so the expectation is that at some point, uh, and obviously there's a chicken and the egg here, um, but let's say that now we've got chickens and eggs, uh, there's gonna be a desire for lots of other assets to have liquidity pool tokens uh, where, where, where the liquidity pools consist of their token and bean, uh, because beans is by far the most liquid stable coin out there and offers the best liquidity. Keep in mind, if you're trading against a stable coin that has borrowing costs of 16%, that's getting factored into your price because all those stable coins that are providing liquidity for your asset are like that opportunity cost still exists. Right, And so when we think about the market working in practice, having the lowest cost stablecoin, the most liquid stablecoin will be the most attractive for other coins to trade against. And the way the silo works is it allows seamlessly for all of the new beans that are minted to actually acquire utility by starting to provide liquidity for other against other currencies, if that makes sense. So that's where utility will ultimately come from. And, uh, Beanstalk Farms is in the midst of a series of different BIPs, Beanstalk Improvement Proposals, that are designed to totally generalize the silo, uh, the Beanstalk DAO, such that, and this is the final vision, uh, and this will be live hopefully in the next month and a half or so or less, uh, we're really pushing code here, is you'll be able to receive interest from Beanstalk, stock and bean seniorage, and also interest from other protocols as well. And so in doing so, you'll have all of this Beanstalk native utility, uh, really high liquidity and low cost beans, and then leveraging the composability of DeFi, which again is the fact that there are all these building blocks that can be put together really nicely. Uh, you're actually gonna be able to use uh, the lots of other protocols and Beanstalk at the same time. And that's, that's novel. That doesn't currently exist within DeFi. And all of it is enabled by the fact that Beanstalk is credit-based. Understood. Um, with, and I start to get a feel there for, for, obviously based on growth, you know, how the utility uh, increases. Where, where do you think the first sort of, based on your, your current growth, how numbers have been going, where do you, where do you think the, the first sort of meaningful um, utility would come for that kind of Joe Punter. And I know, I know you've, you've, you've touched on, on some of it there, obviously with um, LP tokens and, and liquidity, et cetera. Um, but perhaps it's... Perhaps so it's not that far away. So right. the, the, the first example, and this isn't, again, if we go back to the Uber thing, 
who knows what what will be built on top of this incredibly modular and composable infrastructure. Mm. But the first uh, or the likely first use case or proof of concept is going to be the LP tokens for the Beam 3 curve pool, which can currently be deposited in the silo. Uh, there's a proposal that Beanstalk Farms recently dra drafted for the curve LP tokens to be added to the curve gauge. So for, for those of you that aren't familiar with how curve works, uh, there's an incentive structure where providers to liquidity pools can receive curve native rewards. And there's this whole separate ecosystem with other protocols built on top of curve to leverage the highest rate of rewards you can actually receive from curve. That's called convex. And so within the next couple of, again, month and a half, let's call it, uh, Joe Farmer will be able to receive beanstalk native rewards in the form of stock and beans and receive curve rewards from curve uh, that are leveraged and boosted via convex. And so you're actually gonna have three different protocols uh, that the farmers interacting with and benefiting from simultaneously. And that will be the first uh, use of this, uh, this generalized beanstalk uh, DAO we're, we're describing that is being built at the moment. Lovely. And what is your what is your sort of overarching aspiration for the for the field you work in? Perhaps not. Perhaps I should break that down. Not just in terms of technical uh, uh, achievement, because obviously what you're uh, a, a lot of what you're doing here is is new and elegant. But I suppose aspiration for the field in terms of utility that it brings to to individuals. So right now the global access to bank accounts is abysmal. Uh, I, don't, I don't actually know the exact numbers, but they're not good. And in short, what decentralized finance can provide, it doesn't currently, but it can provide every single person in the world with an internet connection uh, is access to censorship resistant, uh, a, a truly uh, censorship resistant financial system, a whole system where everything they could currently do uh, if they had access to the centralized banking systems in the developed world, for example, anyone with a bank account, or excuse me, not a bank account, anyone with an internet connection uh, will be able to access uh, an entire suite of, and this is, this is the vision, censorship resistant rent-free technology. And the rent-free aspect of it is, is really core because when you have something that is open source uh, it, and is uh, potentially ubiquitous because everyone can participate uh, due to its open source nature, uh, it's a race to zero in terms of fees. Mm -hmm. And the, the rent-based uh, rent business models that are a function of the fact that currently and maybe, you know, we only have a few minutes, but if you'll humor me a, a short digression, like when you, when you consider every, you know, we talked, we started this talking about every financial transaction happens through a centralized intermediary. Well, why is that? Because we need them. We need them. I, I don't, I, I, Tim, you seem like a nice guy, but I don't know you and I don't trust you. And therefore it's really hard for us to engage in sophisticated financial transactions together. And so even though it's a pain in the ass and hurts both of us to pay a fee to the bank to manage our finances uh, so that we can interoperate, uh, we got to do it because otherwise it's just too hard for us to trust one another. And so in exchange for providing that trust, the bank can charge a fee. The credit card companies can charge a fee. And fundamentally, when you make the switch to open source censorship resistant technology that anybody can participate in, there's no room for a fee because anybody can provide the, anyone can participate in the network and the network is providing that trust. You have trust in the network because the network is open source. You can go in and verify the rules of the network that they're accurate and that they're doing what you believe them to do, assuming you have the technical know-how. Um, but, but the idea that anyone can go in and verify for themselves and not just verify, then use the network or participate in the network for themselves that's ultimately the vision. And so 
uh, decreasing barriers to entry to just having the money to buy into the system, uh, decreasing uh, access, uh, or, or excuse me, increasing access to the internet such that uh, low barriers to entry and, and really high levels of connectivity to the to this decentralized financial world we're talking about, uh, that's, that's, I would say that's the hope for where this is all heading in the not too distant future. Lovely. I've got, I know we're nearly at time. I've got three, three questions, three more questions for you. Um, what do you think about NFTs and some of the current values associated with them? Well, value is so hard to speak about, uh, sure. especially in such an inflationary environment. And mm. uh, therefore, it's, it's very hard to be critical of the valuations, but it's also very hard to buy, uh, you know, a, a, a board ape uh, at the price that it's currently trading at per se. Um, but uh, when we talk about representation of ownership of something uh, on a decentralized censorship resistant network, I think in general, you have a similar transition from the government currently organizing who owns what um, to and charging some form of rent uh, in the form of taxes and other things to guarantee our or the security and our privacy uh, property rights, excuse me. Um, we're seeing a similar transition to non-fungible tokens where the only ownership is actually represented on chain. And therefore there's other than paying the miners on your network to maintain the network, uh, there's no other fees associated with that, uh, with ownership of that asset. So from that perspective, NFTs are unique uh, and, and the start of, uh, uh, I mean, it's the start of uh, the adoption of representation of ownership of various things on chain. So, but, but what about when those when profits on on these items become taxable? Then we're sort of just back into the con control centralized loop. Yeah, I my my only comment would be everyone should pay their taxes. <laughs> okay. Uh, and, uh, and and wrapping up, if you had a hundred million dollars to spend on a social program and no red tape, how would you spend that? You said a hundred million. Yeah. Well, there's a great article about how Mark Zuckerberg donated a hundred million dollars to the Newark public school system, and it did absolutely nothing. Um, that doesn't help us answer how we should spend the money, but it, it gets us some of the way there on how we shouldn't spend the money. Mm. And especially, you know, I hate to say this, but a hundred million dollars is not, uh, you know, the type of money that can make uh, impact at, at a global scale necessarily, unless used particularly uh, decide, you know, uh, in a very pointed way. Uh, I think you, you're probably better off uh, doing something smaller uh, with hundred million dollars. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And uh, it, it, you know, and this is waving a wand in the air. Uh, we have no no uh, ability to man manifest uh, changes in policy, uh, unfortunately. Uh, you know, education is really uh, the most important the most important thing. Period. And uh, at least keeping it on the topic of what we're what we're discussing at the moment, there there's a, a lot of educational materials and resources that could be put together uh, to much better educate everyone about decentralized technology. And fundamentally, you know, we said this technology allows anyone to go in and verify the rules for themselves, but you actually need to know how to verify. And so. If anything, putting together some sort of open source uh, lab, right, where everyone can participate for creating tutorials and how tos uh, to just explain uh, how to understand more and more of this technology, I think that would be that would be the best use of the funds. Like create some sort of educational incubator that was designed to create everything open source and uh, make make accessing all this technology as simple as possible. So but I think just, like, just thinking out loud. Yeah, yeah, I think it seems a fitting response given the conversation and it's along the lines of uh, keep open source open. 
Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you um, uh, this evening, this evening my time, and uh, I really feel I got a great insight into your uh, your aims and motivations there um, with Beans and Beanstalk. So I look forward to following up a little bit further. And uh, yeah, it's been a great uh, addition to our, our podcast conversations around building and new realities. Um, I mean, this is part of what the future of money looks like and the the, the future of interactions uh, across individuals. So uh, thank you very much and uh, great to, 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 to have a conversation with you. Thank you for having us. It was really a pleasure. Great. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. Cheers. Bye. Thank you.